Hey everybody, welcome to the Afterword. I'm Dave Tish. Okay, I'm gonna take you back to late '60s, early '70s. It's the Vietnam War, and the United States Air Force has got a giant problem. Their planes keep getting shot down. In fact, in the Vietnam War, the United States military lost more than 3,700 airplanes that were shot or lost. 3,700 airplanes, each one's a couple of million dollars. I mean, that is a very expensive problem to have. And the reason why is because United States fighters from the Air Force and Navy were simply not good at dogfighting. They were very slow, they were very heavy, and they were designed to fly straight and drop bombs straight, but they were not designed for dogfighting. For example, the primary plane in that conflict was the F-4 Phantom. It weighed 19 tons. Compared to the the, the, the enemy's plane, which was the MiG-21, which was developed by Russia and given to the North Vietnamese Army during that war, it weighed only 10 tons. That's like half the weight. And the MiG was incredibly agile and it was incredibly fast. It could intercept, it could shoot down, and there was nothing the F-4 Phantom could do. It was like Tyreek Hill running around um, me. It was like Tyreek Hill running around me. I just, there's no chance. I don't have a shot. So what the United States military did is it developed what is arguably one of the most incredible and prolific war machines ever developed, the F-16 Fighting Falcon. No plane that has ever been developed had more speed or more maneuverability. Now, here is what the designers realized. And, and I'm not an aerodynamic engineer. I am not an engineer, but I have watched YouTube videos on this and read some books. So it's pretty much the same thing as being an expert, right? Apparently, from what I've read, with airplane design, the more stable something is, the less maneuverable it is. For example, think about something that's incredibly stable, like an air, a commercial airliner, like a Boeing. You, these giant planes, if you're in the middle of a turn and you're a pilot and your pilot like has an aneurysm and dies and takes his hands off the stick, that Boeing will automatically readjust and start flying straight because it's designed to be incredibly stable. It's slow, it takes off slow, it lands slow, so it's not very maneuverable, but it's incredibly stable. So these these designers of these airplanes realize they're going to have to change the center of gravity and put it more, uh, instead of being at the front of the plane, in front of the lift, in front of the pressure, they're going to have to move that. And they're going to have to make, if they're going to make a plane that's incredibly maneuverable, it's going to have to be incredibly unstable. And that's what they did. The F-16 is the most maneuverable plane ever built. It is incredibly fast. It is incredibly nimble. It can move, but it cannot fly straight on its own. It is so unstable that it can't even take off. A pilot, if it was trying to take off, would literally crash it because it's so unstable. It needs a computer that makes minute second by second adjustments just to fly straight. So it's got sensors all over the plane that adjust the flight so that it flies straight. Accelerometers, gyrometers, inertia, air data, uh, radio altimeters, all those things give it data and the flight computer makes minute by minute adjustments, second by second adjustments. It's something called the fly-by-wire system it, it, just to fly straight. I say all this because I think the idea of the F-16 being an incredible machine but also unable to fly straight is exactly what the human experience is like. Humans are incredible. We are incredible. Think humans are capable of so much and have so much capacity. And yet without stabilization, without minute by minute, second by second adjustments, we're going to crash and fly right into the ground.
we'll destroy ourselves. And that stabilization software is not software. It's God himself. Humans are made to operate with God, and only God can stabilize us. That's part of what the with God life means, that we do life with God, that we need him. In the words of that old hymn, I need you, Lord, I need you. Every hour, I need you. So we're here to talk about what it means to do life with God. I've got Mark Averill right here in the studio. We're going to talk about that, what we talked about this past week, and we're going to dive right in. We're also going to talk a little bit about Moses and about what his life shows us about what it means to do life with God and how you and I can be better at recognizing that God's around and wants to be with us. So with that, let's just dive right in. Mark, what's going on? Hey, it's good to be here. Okay, so for the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about... Um, with God. Yeah, and it seems like... F- I think we probably could have stopped after two weeks and just, just repeated everything and just stopped there, just that God wants to be with us and that to listen, to set aside space and busyness to listen, and then to be honest enough to talk is probably... To, to God, that's probably enough for most people for the rest of the year. It's like, get better at that. Well, as far as content, right? Right. Like to get it absorbed. That's, that's what I'm, what I'm saying. Multiple weeks. It's right. It's so good to have multiple weeks because there's so, yeah, there's so many nuances to it. Right. And that goes into, so how do you think about, because this week we talked about doing life with God. Um, so how do you, how do you take the first two couple weeks and, and how did, how do, in your mind did they tie to this week? Well, I think, you know, one of the things that was mentioned last week was, um, the suggestion, are there moments where you need God and you don't need God? And there was some funny banter <laughs> yeah, with yeah. people. Well, I don't think we need him when we're sleeping. And then when you tease it out, you realize, I don't think there's ever a moment I don't need God. So therefore, how do I live in such a way where I acknowledge that, step into that? Right. Live, live in that. Yeah. yeah. Live in that. Um, yeah. That's it. So when you were preparing or is there, is there st- anything that you left on the cutting room floor that like was important to you that impacted you that you weren't, you didn't get in? Uh, because a lot of times when you prep, there's like more prep than there is uh, time for content. There's so much that we, you, we can say. Was there anything that impacted you that you were like, man, I wish I could have gotten to that or something, an idea that kind of like uh, jumped off the page as it were to you this time? Well, my first posture with this was approaching it from that vantage point of, wow, I really need to learn how to do this. <laughs> yeah, totally. And how much I realize that it's not a part of my collective um, turning and thought process throughout the day. So part of me was like, wow, I'm a journeyman with our people in how can I grow in this? So I, yeah, I did a bunch of reading um, and a lot of stuff. Actually, I love some of the stuff that you had kind of suggested early on about exploring um, with the spirit moving with the spirit. What does life in the spirit look like? Um, oh, the juxtaposition between uh, Paul's kind of looking at like walking in the flesh versus walking in yes, the spirit. That's yeah. a dichotomy that Paul kind of puts out there. There's the flesh life and then there's life with the spirit. Yeah. Yeah. Cause when you talk about doing, and I think following next week is going to be um, everywhere with God or every something. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's the thing. So that's even broader. Everywhere. Uh, all at once. All, Everyone, right. everywhere, all at that's once. Right. That's what God wants. And so even doing with God, you're like, okay, there's so many pieces to it um, because there's his, you know, his invitations to us. I, uh, the part that I, you know, Henry Blackaby, I think for me, has really been the most helpful experiencing God. 
And so much of what I read and remembered about that it ended up on the cutting room floor. There's just too much in that. So to have to try to simplify it. Um, Is there a way that you can synthesize uh, Blackaby's experiencing God or, or how, how, how do you, how would you explain that book to somebody who's never read it yeah. um, and wants to inculcate the principles that Blackaby puts forth? How would you talk about it? Yeah. I think first, um, is this idea that uh, I love how he says, God, and Jesus models this, um, God was always at work. God is always at work. We tend to think, even like when you come into a worship gathering, oh, let's invite God in here. Oh, my friends. <laughs> <laughs> the, the eternality of God means that he was before us, he's in us, yes. he's here, present, and he's in the future all at once. Have no idea how that all works out, <laughs> practically. But we step into an awareness and awakening. And so what Black of You has kind of taught is this, God is always at work and he's making these invitations for us to join him. And this is where I think it's so difficult is how do we live in such a way where we notice, we pay attention, we wonder, is, is this the spirit inviting me now into something? I was planning this, I wasn't even thinking about this, but this opportunity, I get a sense from God's spirit. And how do you discern that? That's not easy to do sometimes. And I think we tend to, we tend to think, well, church is the place where God may work, or he's going to work in Dave's lives because he's a pastor. You know, I see, you know, but for me, while I'm writing code on Monday morning, is that, is he a part of that? Oh, Are because there, it's too mundane, too boring, it's too, too common, routine. too common. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that, that, and I think that what can we do as a people to learn to be more awake and more aware and more noticing um, these subtle sometimes you know uh, uh you and i chatted a little bit about moses and moses man when i have a burning bush makes it a little easier you know i i like this is probably something that's supernatural here but what about those little interior movements that are more subtle where we're in the middle of the day and all of a sudden we get this little sense oh this person might need something maybe i need to turn is, is this you god is this and i think how can we grow in that um, and Blackaby would say, what happens is God's at work. He make, he's making invitations. What it causes in us is, like I said, a crisis of belief. Will I believe that this is God moving? Will I believe that I need to adjust my life to what he's inviting me into? And then as I adjust, you know, as I think about it, it creates a causes of faith. You know, will I believe? Will I trust? Um, and then if I do, I align my life with what he's doing, and I get to experience him in rich life, abundant, like he's a part of how I live, just not what happens on Sunday, or if I happen to crack open the Bible on Tuesday morning, um, that all the facets of my day, that his spirit's moving and working, and how can I pay attention to that? You know, you, you mentioned the Moses story. I, I There's a lot of, I did a lot of reading um, on the Moses story, because I think it's one of the more fascinating moments in Scripture. Moses, one of the more important characters. Yeah. But there, it's interesting because, like, in the uh, apparently in the Arabian desert, the idea of a bush on fire isn't really that uncommon. Right. I think there would have been small brush fires, kind of that would have been rather common, apparently. And what made this bush interesting, some commentators say, is because it wasn't consumed. Mm. So he had to slow down and look at it, and wait, wait, what? He had to slow down enough to, mm. to notice there's something special about this this fire. This is different. Uh, I, I think about the famous poem by Elizabeth Barrett Browning, Earth crammed with heaven and every common bush a fire with God, but only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit round and pluck blackberries. Yeah, right? Isn't that just so spot on? Seeing and noticing... 
and and knowing that God, yeah, the whole earth is full of His movement. Right, right, yeah, yeah. So that's good. So that's kind of the first part, just kind of noticing. Uh, but you, you, I love how you said it, God's at work first. God always is at work first. <laughs> yeah. Well, you think about even our faith is predicated on the fact that he made the first. Oh move. yeah. Always. God always moves first, right. speaks first, moves first. Yeah. And then I guess life is just a response to that. Um, cause you know, even when, even the Moses story, it's not even the bush. That's the invitation. He says, come here. And then what's he say to him? He's like, listen, I have heard the cries of my people. I've got a plan. Yeah. I'm going to rescue them from slavery. I'm going to invite you into it, <laughs> right, you know? Right. So he's already at work at this grand thing yeah. to rescue an enslaved people and from oppression of an evil tyrant. Like he is at work and Moses has no idea mm, that mm. that's even going on, uh, let alone that that's what his, uh, what's going to happen. Um, that's utterly fascinating. Um, but then the second part you talked about Blackaby is there's a response Um component and that can be kind of uncomfortable for people so do you want to talk a little bit about the idea of responding to when you see that the bush is aflame <laughs> when you see that god might be work at work um ignoring it doesn't seem to be an option anymore but what it, what i mean moses has to leave shepherding <laughs> right it's i mean in a real way it's going to change the trajectory of his life and for those of us who see god at work um it's going to demand something of us. Is that how it, how would black would be put it? How would you put it? Yeah. I, you know, I'm also holding a little bit of, uh, last week, um, some might've heard Ortberg teach. Um, and what he kind of gives is this fantastic, uh, analogy or, or example of, um, an individual Bob who prays for so many days. And next thing you know, the story ends up with the white house calling him. I'm like, those are super life altering, change the trajectory for him. But for most of us in most of our lives, they're small invitations. They're little nudges to take a moment um, to be with somebody, to, to be the hands and feet of Christ, to be present with somebody, uh, to express love, forgiveness, grace, reconciliation. Um, so they're, they're subtle, I think, more small movements that happen, and they cause for us that crisis. Will I align my life with what I feel God may be calling me to? And, and part of it is what you and I talked about, yeah. which is you really got to know God. And, right. And you got to kind of know what, what are the things that would move the heart of God to kind of discern. I think this would be the kind of thing um, that God might move towards. Right. Um, sees a circumstance and go, wait a minute, I have a capacity here. Um, I think I can move towards that person and know by faith, um, this little part of me, I, we tend to think it was our awakening that made us see that person. But I think it's the spirit in us that gives us the, even those eyes. And it's really not even our, our initiative. It was something that the spirit did in us to go, I see that person. Yeah. I see this opportunity or I see something because God's work is also in me. Yeah. And the character shaving or shaping and the forming of Christ. You said shaving. Me. I know. But I feel like that's what it is. It's shaving off these rough edges oh, and it's painful. Yeah. That's uh, if he's a master carpenter, I feel like there's some elements of shaving that are really, ah, yeah, <laughs> it hurts. That's good. I love so that. it might've been a, a slip, but it's, it's, I think it's accurate. Yeah. 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 Well, the text we were in was John 14, where yeah. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes through the Father except through me. If you really know me, you're going to know my Father as well. We, we kind of talked about how if you're going to do life with God, it's going to be a life of getting to know God. And I, I mm. again, not to be weird, I go back to the Exodus story. Like, there's an invitation there. When he says, Moses says, like, look, I don't know what kind of God you are. <laughs> like, there's lots of gods in the Egyptian pantheon. 
Right. There's the sun god. There's the the god of the Nile. There's the crocodile god. What kind of god are you? And he gives him his name. This is huge moment in Jewish history. God reveals his name. He says, uh, Yahweh is, is, Eheye, is the way he says it from what I understand. But you, you and I can't say Eheye because uh, it's the sentence, I am and always will be what I am and always will be. So you and I can't say that hmm. because we have to say it about him. So we say Yahweh, you well, know? That's interesting. So it's he, he will always be. He is always what he is and what he always will be. And I think that's just such an interesting name. I am and always will be what I am and always will be. What's the very next question? What will you be? Well, what, 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 what in the world are you? Uh, and uh, it's an invitation to find out. Uh, uh. You know, I'm, and, and I also think it's interesting because there's a constancy. Like you and I are only sometimes what we are. Yeah. Like I'm sometimes funny. Uh, sometimes not. That's a, that's a big part. But yeah, of it. I mean, 80, mostly fun. 80, 90 percent, but still, uh, I'm I'm pretty loving uh, sometimes, but sometimes I'm not. Sure. So there's there's an inconsistency in my character and, and in all of us. But God's like, no, no, no. When I say I'm I'm after justice, I'm always after justice. When mm. I say I'm loving, I'm always loving. Mm. So there's it's so there's an invitation to get to know know God, even in that in the Exodus story from Moses. Mm. Like, get to know me. And then he also says, well, how, how, uh, how am I going to do this? And what's God say? Well, I'll be with you. Mm. So there's the with and get to know me. So there's something really deep about the knowing aspect, um, which I think is really a beautiful thing. But it also ties to us, like to your point, will we take the time to get to know? Let me ask you a question. We didn't script this. I just wondered, is there something, you've been a pastor for a while now. Yeah. Um. Is there something in this last season, and I don't know what season means. It could be a week or it could be four years. Is there something in this season that you feel like you've learned about God, that you've got to know God a little bit better in this season? For sure. Um, Would you mind sharing it? (laughs) Is it too private? Is that that too private? No, it's not that. Um, I'm just trying to think, trying to how to articulate what it would be. I, I think maybe this is why I feel like so much this subject was for me because it's something I wanted to grow in. So I'm in actually in seminary, uh, taking uh, some, some classes on how to be more of a spiritual director, more of a helper um, in people discovering God's movement. Um, and the, the thing they teach us is a lot about noticing and wondering. And so that's for me um, where I'm trying to grow in and, and these beautiful invitations uh, of God to kind of go, hey, what about over here? The example they give sometimes is like a parent with their child um, for hunting for Easter eggs. Uh-huh. And they're like, you know, when they're too small, you know, they're like, hey, what's over here? Just like, <laughs> and, and the analogy is that the spirit many times will go, hey, uh, maybe there's something over here. What do you think? You, see it? you can see the playfulness of a parent with that. And it kind of gives this... Um, beautiful sense that God's uh, nudges and invitations are gentle and loving and patient. And, but at the same time, that's why I love Moses as one, but there's something so overt and demonstrative about that. But for most of us, I haven't had too many handwriting on the wall, too many burning bushes. And so I'm, I'm trying to grow. And some of the disciplines that we've mentioned are really helping me. I've been really pressing in for a handful of years now to the examine, um, and I'm, you know, honestly, I don't do it perfectly. Many times, I think even last night, I went to bed, 
started with spirit help me to look at my day i'm thankful for this and then i woke up at 6 a.m <laughs> you fell asleep in the middle of the exam <laughs> just knocked out it's okay it is okay it's okay for sure um you know I, I, yeah it's what i needed and so but i i did my last memory was going to bed with god you know so it's, yeah. it's like how can i live in this way because like all of us i get immersed in the routines of my day in the pressures that we feel you know in the relationships that i have um those I feel swallowed up by those. And I think if you get too far in that, you miss the excitement, the abundance of life with God and the adventure that it is. And then it's relegated to, if I'm going to go on a missions trip, going to need God, you know, or, you know, and yeah. you see him in this way where I need, and that's why I really resonated with me. Need him, don't need him. Are there those moments? Not really, not really. And they're, yeah, they're subtle in some ways, but I'm trying to be live more awakened. Matter of fact, I've tried to change the language used when we start a worship service. Really? Hey, tell me, tell me. Well, as opposed to let's invite God into, you know, it's like, uh, come, uh, let's meet with God. You know, it's like, oh, let's awaken ourselves to his presence. Let's awaken ourselves. Let's be awake to what he, what he's doing here now. Like inviting God, like he needs our invitation. Yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Well, the, the, what's that song? Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, well. <laughs> to be to honest. Be, to be, well, every, every. <laughs> Sure. Yeah, all the world's guys, I'm not really sure he needs an invite, but okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's, that's interesting. Um, let me, well, let me flip it. Cause sure. for you. What? Oh man. Well, this season has been particularly difficult for, I mean, some of the folks that are listening, they might not know, but on uh, June 30th, my dad had a, um, a catastrophic fall and he fell into the street, hit his head, had a massive uh, brain trauma. And for the last couple of months, it had been surgery after surgery to mm. try to save his life. Because if there's brain swelling, um, it can kill you. It, it does kill you. In fact, 50 years ago, my dad would be dead. Mm. Um, his brain would have swollen. The pressure would have killed him, and he would have died. But they saved, They did two craniotomies uh, where they drain. And um, during that process, that was like, is he going to live? Is he going to die? There was tremendous amounts of fear and tension in my, in my mom. Um, she was beside herself, as you can imagine. Um, but also just my dad now has um, some pretty traumatic, um, he had a traumatic brain injury, and so he has some pretty dramatic loss of, of memory. Uh, and he's dramatically diminished as a, as my dad. My dad was a, my dad was an Air Force pilot. You know, my dad was a, an engineer, a software engineer. He was, his brain was his thing, right? Mm-hmm. And to watch his brain not be his thing and to watch him in a diminished capacity and to watch my mom go through that anxiety, to carry that anxiety and that grief, um, and then just try to figure out like how, how in the world to help, um, uh, what that looks like for me. Um, that, that was a, is a really, really tough season. And then in the sure. middle of it, my son goes off to college. So I'm dealing with that trauma yeah, my, yeah. cause you know, it's a, it's a different thing. I'm not my, it's a, you, you know how this is. You've been through this. Yeah. It's a different phase of parenting to go from when he was a little, I was an air traffic controller, you know, you control everything. And then you go to a coach and now it's not even a coach. Like I'm a consultant, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, he'll call me when he needs me. Um, that's a lot. So a it's short. a lot in that in that season, and and I felt like uh, um, besieged and completely underwater and completely incapable. And so there was a lot of sitting and a lot of grief and a lot of talking with God about the 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 pain 
and the fear and the insecurities. Um, and that was, it was hard work, a lot of counseling, you know? Yeah. Um, and just, it dredges up so many, so many things. And so I think, um, what I realized is what I realized is I'm far more in chaos internally than I can possibly handle. So I needed to go to God to help me sort through the chaos. And I think left to myself, my story is just tragedy or farce. And I just need God. Um, uh, it's interesting. Uh, this is going to sound, um, this is going to sound dumb, but, and I, I reference it in my opening, but um, the F-16, which my, my dad wrote the stabilization software for F-16. So oh, that's, wow. that's what my dad oh, did. Oh my goodness. So the F-16 um, in, in the Vietnam War, there were so many planes lost because our dogfighters, we couldn't, our planes couldn't dogfight. They were phantoms. They were huge, heavy, old bomb-carrying planes, right? So the Air Force is like, all right, let's make a, a fighter plane. And they made it so maneuverable that it was inherently unstable. It literally can't fly. It will crash into the ground. Hmm. So it needs a computer to do minute-by-minute, second-by-second adjustments. And I feel like that's my soul. I I need God to do minute by minute adjustments or I'm going to crash. And I I don't think I I'm not I cannot fly any other way. And I mean I knew that before, but when you have this much pressure and that much tragedy and that much uncertainty, that's the only way that I could, you know, operate without massive amounts of anxiety. I tend to be an anxious person. And that was the only thing that could stabilize me. So I would say that's what I'm learning this season. Wow! I mean, it's a, and I think that that's not just for this season. I'm, I'm confident. It'll stick with yeah. you, moving forward. But now, what, for sure. what's really neat is, for a while, I was just, I mean, I, I really did feel like I was plunging toward. I was like, I, I'm gonna die. <laughs> like, what? Well, yeah. I, I can't handle this. Uh, I really feel like it's pulled up, um, or I've pulled up, or God's pulled me. I, I don't know the right yeah. answer. And so now I'm starting to see people around me, and I see them going through similar things. And I'm like, oh, I know exactly what that's like. Mm. And I know that there's no solution, save the stabilizing uh, voice of God and the, the stabilizing presence of God. And I'm like, yeah. oh, I know that now. I can, I can recognize it. So you've it's, experienced it. Yeah. And you've experienced the ways that he meets you in that kind of destabilizing kind of place. Yeah. And brings, it sounds like, just bringing a sense of holding your anxiety bringing some calm, but also he's involved intricately yeah. you know, in that part of your life. And yeah. it's something that helps us. It, I think our invitation is conversational relationship with God. 100%. And we just don't think about it yeah. that way. Yeah. And even in the doing and in the deep work, it's conversational. And conversation moves at a very slow pace sometimes. Yeah, you know, so, you know. yeah I love that. Dude, um, I love that you shared that though. Oh. I really, uh, yeah, because that's, that's right now the raw places of yeah. your life. And I think for many people who go through moments where it doesn't have that and then moments where it's like, wow, could everything be more piled on than it is right now? You know <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. So I appreciate uh, the that. compounding. Uh, but that's why I think the, this with God life and, and you know, Jesus says, um, are, are you going to trust me? You know, you're going to believe, right. you know, you're going to trust. And then, and then he says at the end of it, you know, look, if you get oriented this way, if you know me, if you know me, and you trust me, like the stuff we're going to do, mm. it's going to be mm. crazy. It'll be in my name. It's my kingdom. Like it, it'll be pronounced and marked by me. And um, I, I just want more and more of Jesus in this world yeah. and in my life. 
his peace. You know, uh, uh, Paul, um, when he talks about the spirit uh, versus the flesh in Romans, I love how he says this. He says, uh, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. Mm-hmm. He doesn't say just life. He adds peace. I mm-hmm. think he's trying to say something. He's saying like, no, 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 no. It's not just life, but there's this added peace. It's the shalom. I yeah, know, right? totally. Yeah. Totally. And I, and I think the older I get and the more the world seems in chaos and the more my own world seems mm-hmm. chaos and the more I realize I can't control, like I just need, I need peace. I, otherwise, what's the alternative? Striving and anxiety. Yeah. And it reminds me of like what, um, what Jay and John Orper talked about, like a, a, a year of prayerless strive, a, a life of prayerless striving. striving. Yeah. I don't want that. Yeah. I don't want that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, awesome stuff. Do you have any, um, just before we leave, do you have any best practice, anything that's helped you um, a pr- uh, I know we talked about the exam and, and I guess that is probably the answer, but is there anything in particular that you've done or do that's helped you become more aware of God through your day? Is there anything you've done that, that's helped? Yeah. I mean, I think, I don't know if the exam is the answer. I do think any kinds of, um, any kinds of practices that can help us in the turning of our day, uh, to help us to, to kind of turn. And, you know, I shared a little bit about, um, what for me has been, um, an invitation to play a little bit. I, I, a lot of times we think of the practices, hey, do more, you know, you need to read your Bible a bit more, pray. here's another way to pray more. And there's a part with those, those are trellises, those are conduits that God uses, you know, tubes that he uses to pour into us the things that we need. But I think um, they can also be heavy burdens, like oh, I didn't do this today, and we can be, they, they can become very perform- performative. Ah, I see. So, um, you know, I, I, what I've sensed the Spirit saying in me is, come play with this idea of just like a centering prayer. So like today, I had a, a moments in Scripture, and the, the, what I chewed on is this, um, is this passage that says, you know, behold what manner of love that God has lavished on us, that we are children of God. That is what you are. So that's my centering prayer for today. And it's just throughout the day, um, again, the Spirit prompts me, and I'm like, I'll say it, and then sit in it just for a few seconds. And what it does is it heightens my awareness in those mundane moments driving through traffic, moments you know, in front of my laptop, um, conversations I have, that they, they create an interior posture of just openness. And I, if I touch them a few times throughout the day, they kind of are like, hey, I'm here, we're we're together. And it becomes very relational that way. So that's one thing that's helped me. And I've been doing it, um, somebody gave me a a number of them. Jay's mentioned them before too. Is there a book or something you're using? I mean, they're just so, they're simple. Sometimes it'll be a little phrase that um, I- Something that jumps out at you? Something when in my reading or something like they can be anything from, uh, I I shared a bunch um, on Sunday, but um, you know, just heal me God. Or they can, or spirit, you're here. You know, just little things. Sometimes I've written on, a, on the back of my hand. Oh, that's cool. So if I'm writing something, there'll just be another another prompt. And again, as opposed to this is a heavy thing you got to try to do. You haven't done it enough. And quite frankly, in my anxiety, there's always lots of guilt and ah, you're not good enough. Sure. You know, that kind of stuff. Um, but again, the spirits, I think the spirits invitations are always invitations of freedom. Sure. Right. It's yeah. for freedom that Christ said it's for free. For freedom that we have been set yeah, free. Absolutely. So when they start to feel performative or um, expected or demanded or parts of how you beat yourself up, 
that's your false self. That's the part that, you know, God is redeeming and changing in his invitations. Like, come on, play with me. You know, just yeah. let's, let's, let's enter into this together. Well, well, thanks for being with us, Mark. I super yeah. appreciate your time. And um, again, just the invitation, the with God life, to do life with, not, not for God, not under God, not afraid right. of God, but with God. Uh, that's his invitation. That's uh, a man. We're going to get into Advent here in a bit. Yeah, a man- yeah. Emmanuel means God's with us. Moved right? into the neighborhood. Right. So it, there he is. He's right there. Yeah. He's right there. So that's great. Thanks for your your wisdom, for your insight, and uh, we will see you next week. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Just want to say thanks to Mark Averill for stopping by. Join us next week. When we finish up our With God sermon series, Jay Kim and Karina Gerard will be here. We'll be finishing up. Then we've got Thanksgiving. And then, ladies and gentlemen, it's Advent season. It's almost Christmas time. So, so break out your Mariah Carey and all I want for Christmas is you. And we will see you next week.